Hi, um, I'm Jessica. Uh, I'm part of the mission team that's here for this week, um, and I'm studying commerce at the moment. I wanted to come to Port Macquarie on mission because uh, I wanted to see the work that the gospel was doing in different communities. Um, yeah, and I've been really encouraged by uh, your love uh, for the word and uh, how you guys have welcomed us as a mission team as well. Uh, so let's read from the Bible, uh, Luke 8, starting from verse 22. Uh, one day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples, the disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Father, we want to thank you for your word, which is true and speaks to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who teaches us the truths from your word and changes our minds and our hearts. And we pray for ourselves, we pray for the children in Sunday school that you would be working by your word and spirit now to make us more the people that you would have us be. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the desires which uh, drives our modern societies is the desire to, uh, for control, uh, particularly the desire to be able to control those things which cause problems for us. We would love to have the power to control the seemingly chaotic forces of nature which reap uh, destruction and even death. But we can't, can we? As much as we try, the best that we can do 
is predict things like cyclones, like floods, uh, like earthquakes. We'd, we'd love also to be able to uh, control and even subdue the, uh, the forces of evil in our world. Uh, to have the power to bring order and control uh, so that families, communities and nations can live in peace. But as hard as we try, it's a never-ending effort, isn't it? For uh, as we manage to control and settle a conflict in one area, another emerges in another area. It's a never-ending effort. Uh, and try as we do, the ability to control uh, the uh, to, con to control nature and to control evil eludes us. But what if it was claimed that there was a man who had authority over the forces of nature, who had authority over the forces of evil in our world? What would that be? What sort of a claim would that be? Uh, many people would say, well, that would be a false claim. Uh, that would be a fantasy claim, that would be wishful thinking, uh, or even that that would be a dreadful delusion on mankind. And yet, that is the exact claim that the Bible makes concerning Jesus. We're going to look at that today, because uh, in uh, Luke's Gospel, uh, the author of Luke's Gospel, Dr. Luke, uh, when he began his Gospel, he uh, he stated his reason for writing and he said that he was writing these things down having carefully researched the life of Jesus. He was writing down these facts about the key events of the life of Jesus so that we might know for sure who Jesus is and what he has done. So Luke has recorded this as history. And in uh, chapter 8 of uh, Luke, in verses 22 to 29, which you might want to have open in front of you, Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 29, 39, we have two of those key events recorded for us so that we might know and believe uh, the things which have been taught. Um, we're going to have a look at those two events. The first event centres around the chaotic forces of nature. Now, um, after the parable of the sower had been taught, Jesus had decided to take uh, 12 of his closest disciples on a, on a journey, on a journey by boat uh, from the western side of the Sea of Galilee across to the eastern shore. Now, I'm going to flow that, uh, put that up on the screen. I just need to get the flicker, the uh, little remote. Here it is. So there's a map of um, Palestine and uh, we can see here this here is the Sea of Galilee and there's a river that flows south uh, from the Sea of Galilee down into the Dead Sea. Does anyone know what the name of that river is? That's the river, which river is it? The River Jordan. Okay so the River Jordan flows south uh, from the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus is going to take his disciples on a journey across the Sea of Galilee from the uh, western side across to its eastern shore. Now, to us, there doesn't seem to be anything particularly unusual in that. I mean, that Jesus and his disciples should get on a boat and go across the sea. I mean, after all, some of his disciples, their job was kind of conducive to that sort of thing because they were fishermen. 
we don't know exactly how far that they sailed. We do know that from the uh, widest points of the Sea of Galilee is about 13 kilometres. They probably didn't have to uh, sail that far across, but they did sail far enough across for a very tired Jesus to fall asleep partway through the journey, which, of course, falling asleep, that's a very human thing to do. The problem was the chaotic forces of nature. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is, well, it's like a, you can see, it's like a big lake, isn't it? And it's a big lake, which can be very, very windy. Uh, the reason for that is simple physical geography. Uh, it's, uh, the lake is about 200 metres below sea level and it's surrounded by a mountainous area so that uh, cool air from the mountains uh, can sweep through the gorges and when it hits the water, it uh, quickly whips up the sea. Uh, very, very quickly. So you can go out on the boat when it's a nice, calm day and next thing you know, you're being battered by huge waves, which is what happened here. Have a look in verse 23. In verse 23, it says, As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Now, feel the force of this. This is not some sort of a moderate breeze that the yachtsman heading from Sydney down to Hobart in a couple of weeks' time would, you know, would actually appreciate. This is actually, well, Luke puts it that they were in great danger. Great danger. This is very real, very real danger. Now, it makes sense for them to go and wake up Jesus. I mean, anyone who was on the boat at the time was sound asleep, you'd go and wake them up, wouldn't you? But it does seem that they're looking for some kind of leadership here because they refer to Jesus as master. They call him twice. They say, master, master. And so Jesus got up and what did he do? He spoke to the wind and the water. He spoke to them. Uh, he, Luke says that he rebuked them. He told them to settle down in much the same way that you might speak to a person and tell the person to settle down. And guess what happened? They did. The wind and the waves stopped. And then he rebuked his disciples for their lack of faith. Now, there's something extraordinary about this miracle. I mean, the disciples had already seen Jesus' miracles. They'd seen Jesus healing the sick. They'd seen Jesus driving out demons, they'd seen Jesus even raise someone from the dead. But this miracle affected them personally. For who was it who was saved? They were saved. They were saved. And we're told that they were amazed. Yet there's something more about this, I think. Imagine, let's try to picture this situation. Imagine a, a great storm has, uh, uh, out at sea has whipped up king tides around Port Macquarie. And you know what that's like, don't you? Some of you've, you've been here when there's been king tides and it's an awesome experience. And uh, the, the beaches are all closed. And when you, you, you drive down Pacific Drive, you'll see the cars have parked up along all of the vantage points and there's people there get out of their cars and 
just want to soak it all up to, to really uh, absorb what's going on, looking out on the wind and the waves and, and the, the salt air, and uh, it's an incredible experience. Imagine that that's going on, and you're at a car park, and then someone actually stands up and speaks to the wind and the waves and tells them to stop. And it happens. The wind dies down and the ocean is as flat as a tack. It's extraordinary. And that is exactly what happens here on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples witnessed it. They had been in fear for their very lives, but now they were in fear of Jesus. Who is this man, they say in verse 25. Even the wind and the water obeys him. Indeed, who is this man? Who is this man who can control the chaotic forces of nature? That is an excellent question. It's a question which leads to the second of the big issues that Luke tells us about in this passage, and that is, who can control the forces of evil? Now, this journey across the lake may seem ordinary to us, apart from the storm and the, and the, uh, the miracle that Jesus has just performed. But to travel across the Sea of Galilee was an extraordinary thing to do. Not because of physical geography, but rather because of human geography. For who is it who lived on the other side of the lake? Um, as you can see in the, on the map here, the River Jordan uh, flows southward from the Sea of Galilee down to, to the Dead Sea. And in the Old Testament, Israel had settled mostly on this western side of the uh, Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee. Uh, on the eastern side were other tribes, the, the Ammonites, the, uh, the Edomites, the, the Moabites lived there. Uh, and just to compact history, uh, later on in history from the 4th century, particularly after the death of Alexander the Great, uh, the Greeks uh, moved into this area as well and they established... Uh, Greek cities uh, from Damascus up there in what would be modern-day Syria uh, down through what uh, today we would call Jordan. They established Greek cities and uh, the area became known as the Decapolis. Deca meaning ten, uh, polis referring to cities. There was ten key cities, ten Greek cities uh, from Damascus down to Philadelphia. The cities of the Decapolis developed without a whole lot of Jewish influence. It was a melting pot. It was a melting pot of the local tribal, the Greek, and then later on the Roman cultures and spiritualities. Uh, many, many, many false gods were, were integrated into that melting pot and were worshipped uh, in the region of the Decapolis. You see, this was not just a boat trip across a lake. Jesus was taking his disciples outside of Israel and into the Gentile world. Uh, in verse 26, 
we're told that they came ashore in the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, there is a town which is called Gerasa, you can see that there. It's actually about 40 kilometres southeast of the lake. So one possibility is that there was a tract of land there that came under the authority of the town of Gerasa. There's other theories as to why that's referred to as the land of the Gerasenes. Uh, that's a smaller point here. Uh, in verse 26, they came ashore in the region of the Gerasenes. And what we notice as we look at uh, the passage here is who they didn't meet there. They did not meet any Pharisees. They didn't meet any teachers of the law. Uh, you won't find too many of those guys over there on the eastern side of the lake. They certainly didn't follow Jesus across because this was unclean territory. But when they stepped out of the boat, there was a man who they did meet. Now, I know that Western people, and most of us here are Western people, we tend to play down the, the, the reality of demon possession, don't we? But yet, in places in our world today where the worship of false gods, false idols, false spiritualities is very common, uh, so too is it common for there to be demon possession. This man, whom Jesus and his disciples met, had lost his basic humanity. Uh, Luke tells us about him, he describes him, he says that he, he did not live in a house or, or in the city. Uh, instead, this man lived in, in solitary places. Uh, he didn't wear clothes, he was stripped naked. He lived that way, he lived... In, in, a, in a graveyard. He lived in the necropolis, the, the, the city of the dead. And he had such superhuman strength that he uh, was able to break the chains which others had used in an, in an attempt to subdue him. He was demon-possessed. So the issue then is what happens when Jesus... And this man meet. How would he respond to the presence of Jesus? Well, Luke tells us that just as Jesus had commanded the wind and the waves, so too he commanded the evil spirit to come out of this man. To which the possessed man fell at the feet of Jesus, shouting, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, think about that. Jesus has just stepped off the boat. He's in foreign territory. It's not particularly likely that too many other people have come across the lake and have told others about Jesus on the other side. And yet, the demon with with supernatural knowledge, knew exactly who Jesus was. By the way, uh, son of the Most High God was actually a very Roman way of referring to, to deity. Uh, again, uh, this was Gentile territory that Jesus was in. And in the first century, it was, it was commonly thought that knowing someone's name actually gave you uh, the upper hand. In, in a relationship. It gave you some power in respect to that person. 
I don't think it's really the same as today, but uh, I know, for example, if I'm in a conversation with someone and they know my name and I don't know their name, uh, I'm at a bit of a disadvantage. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Uh, but alternatively, when you know someone's name, that gives you power to, to do good. It also can give you power to, do, to, to abuse that and to uh, use that as a, as a tool against the person. So in the first century, it was considered to be an advantage to know someone's name. So Jesus asks the demon his name. Take a look at that. It's in verse 30. In verse 30, uh, in verse 30, Jesus asked him, what is your name? As if Jesus didn't already know. Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. What's the demon's name? Legion. Uh, what is a legion? Well, a legion is 5,600 soldiers in a Roman army. And Luke tells us because there was many demons had entered into this man. This, friends, is Jesus against a legion of evil spirits. And so the conflict is defined. But nevertheless... It is they who plead with Jesus. It is they who plead with him not to order them into the abyss, which in the book of Revelation, that is the place of, of punishment for Satan and for his cohorts. Now that will come. Uh, there will be a day when they will be in the place of eternal torment forever and forever, but not just Yet, for now, having driven them and exercised authority and power over them, having driven them out of the man, Jesus permits them to enter into a nearby herd of pigs. Now, yes, a herd of pigs. You won't find a herd of pigs on the other side of the lake, will you? Uh, this is Gentile territory. Verse 33. Verse 33, when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and was drowned. The pigs have gone to their death. But the man, the man who lived in the place of death, now has new life. Pick it up at verse 34. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came out to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. This is the man whose arms were so strong that he could break the chains that they used to bind him. This is the man who did not wear clothes, who walked around stark naked. This is the man who lived among the tombs and now he is sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them 
because they were overcome with fear. So he got into his boat and left. They were afraid, weren't they? They were afraid not of the man any longer. They were afraid of Jesus. Who is this man? They'd never seen this before. Who is this man that even these spiritual forces of evil obey him? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this man? Now, the people of the Gerasenes, they didn't really... This was uncharted territory for them. Uh, they didn't know how to react, did they? And so they, uh, they told Jesus to... So they said, and look, hop back in your boat and go back to where you came from. Thank you very much. But in verse 38... The man who had been saved, he begged Jesus to allow him to get in the boat too and to join Jesus, to join Jesus in his mission. He was now a follower. How did Jesus respond? Well, uh, he said, I do want you to be part of my mission, but no, I don't want you to get into the boat. In verse 38, Jesus commanded him to go home and tell everyone how much God had done for him. Now notice how Luke kind of repeats that because he then says that the man then went home and he told everyone what Jesus had done for him. You see that? Jesus says, go home and tell everyone what God has done for you. And Luke says, well, he went home and he told everyone what Jesus had done for him. Same thing really, isn't it? For who is it who, who has the authority and the power over the chaotic forces of nature? Who is it who has the authority over the wind and the waves? It's, it's God, isn't it? It's God. Who is it who has authority in the spiritual world? It's God, isn't it? It sounds like Luke is saying that Jesus is God. Sounds right to me. What about the pigs? Have you ever, ever felt sorry for those pigs? You ever thought to yourself, you know, they're just minding their own business and all these evil spirits and next thing you know they're on the bottom of the lake? It's a good question. Uh, I'm not going to go into much detail on that, but suffice to say a couple of things. One is that um, the text never tells us that Jesus actually commanded the evil spirits to drown the pigs. Uh, that's what they do. Second thing is that whilst the pigs died, the man was set free. That points us to another event, doesn't it? It's a little bit of a precursor to something which would happen later on. Another event when the power of evil, even the power of evil over our own lives, would finally be defeated. See, the Bible teaches us that in our natural state, we are all in the grip of Satan. We're all in his clutches. Uh, there's a sense in which um, every one of us wants to live our lives, our way, uh, without God, without our Creator. We tend to ignore our Creator. And it's reasonable, therefore, that... Um, 
if we are to ignore our creator, then we ought to be punished by our creator. There's a sense in which we all deserve to be in the abyss. But on the cross of Jesus, God's judgment for all of our sin, for your sin, for my sin, God's wrath, God's punishment for our sin was actually meted out on Jesus instead. So that he died in our place so that we could be set free from the power that Satan had over us, which was the guilt of our sin, which would mean that we would end up with Satan in his eternal place of torment. And yet by paying the penalty for our sin as Jesus has done, we, just like the demon-possessed man, you and I can now be set free from the guilt of our sin, from the power of sin over our lives. We can be forgiven. We can enjoy a new life with God, a new and a fresh start with God that begins now and goes for all of eternity. Now that's great news, isn't it? That's better than great news. That's terrific news. That's the best news that there is. What are we doing with that news? Are we sharing it with others? One of the big things in this passage is a, a huge thing is that Jesus didn't bottle up the good news in Israel. He crossed the lake. He stepped into unclean, uncomfortable, spiritually dark Gentile territory. And why did he do that? Well, he did that because God's love is for all people. God's love is for people no matter who you are, no matter what you've done in your life, no matter what burdens, what guilt you might carry, no matter where you're from, no matter your language or your racial grouping, no matter your nationality, God's love is for you. God's love is for all people. Jesus crossed the lake because of that. And so we need to think about our own lives, therefore, don't we? Uh, are you willing to, to step outside of your comfort zone? Uh, your comfort zone, uh, not just geographically, but relationally. Are you willing to actually uh, share the gospel with people who are different to you? People from a different social economic background, people from a different racial background. Are you willing to share the gospel even with people who you might think are somehow unclean, somehow below you? Jesus did. Jesus stepped into Gentile territory. There was a herd of pigs there. He connected with a demon-possessed man. Such is God's love for all humanity. Yet it's just as important and sometimes just as challenging, even perhaps more challenging, to share the gospel with people who we are very close to. The man who was saved from demons, he, he wanted to join Jesus. He wanted to get on the boat and go back across the other side. Jesus knew that he wasn't going to stay in the Decapolis. Jesus knew that he was going to be asked to leave. 
So what did Jesus do? Well, he left, all right. He left behind the most powerful evidence of who he is. A man whose life has been changed by the power of Jesus. Now, we don't know anything more about that man's life. Uh, We don't know what uh, impact. We don't know how God used him when he went back to his home to share the good news with his own people, his family, his friends. What about you? You willing to do that? Christmas time's a pretty good time to do it, isn't it? <laughs> Families gather together. Jesus is on the agenda. But we need to have the heart for it, don't we? I, I learnt something in Jolene's testimony earlier on. I learnt the word tick box-ish. Did you like that word? It should, uh, it'll now form part of my vocabulary. Thank you very much for that, Jolene. Because uh, we can be a bit tick box-ish with respect to our Christian faith, can we not? Uh, We believe who Jesus is, that he is God with power over nature, with power over evil forces. Tick that one. We believe that he died on the cross, that he's paid the penalty for our sin. We can tick that one. Uh, We uh, want to do good in our world. We can tick that one. But... Has the mercy and the love of God so captured our hearts that we just want to give our lives over to him? That we just want to give our lives over to sharing about him, to telling others so that they can experience the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. So let's not be tick box-ish Christians. Let's be Christians who are prepared to go out of our comfort zone. Let's be Christians who are prepared to go into our family zone with the gospel of Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for the great power that Jesus has because he is God the Son. We thank you, Father God, for his power over the chaotic forces of nature. We thank you for his authority over evil and for his defeat of the evil one. We thank you that in him we can have new life. And we pray that we would be people who are so gripped by the gospel that we would be wanting to step out in faith to share your word with those who are further afield and those who are close to home. May we be people who are part of your mission. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.